Hopefully everybody is having a great morning thus far. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Evan Allroots. Uh, I have the amazing opportunity to serve on staff here at the church, and I have the greater opportunity to uh, bring forth God's word here today. So if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to continue our study through the book of Romans today, uh, and we're going to be focusing in on chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one uh, around the room. They're on the tables and, and the aisle, as well as if you have it on your phone, you can use it on your phone, but it'll be up on the screen. Uh, when you get there, if you don't mind standing for the reading of God's holy word... For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For, in, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you today and we thank you for being able to gather together and worship in your name today. I ask that as we are about to walk through your word, Lord, that it would be your words and your truths that are spoken here today. And Father, I pray that if there's anything that would, that would hinder the speaking of your truth, Lord, I pray that you would pardon me and allow me to communicate your words today. And if there's anything that would hinder the receiving of your word, I pray that you would pardon us in this room and allow us to receive your truths. Jesus, as we come out of this Easter season, I, I pray that we do not forget the cross, and I pray especially that we do not forget the resurrection. Thank you for coming and, and doing what we could not. Thank you for dying on the cross in our place, and thank you for raising again for us, canceling out the curse of sin and death in our lives. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come today, and I pray that you would lead us to the heart of Jesus as we sang. Allow us to have ears that can hear, eyes that can see, and hearts to receive the truths of the gospel today. Guide our conversation through your word, and I ask this in the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So as we begin today, I'm going to ask you here in a moment to close your eyes. And yes, I'm asking you to close your eyes on a Sunday morning uh, as all of you are just waking up. Uh, so please stay with me. Try not to fall asleep. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, but if you would, go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you to picture a place that perhaps you have felt close to God a place in which you have, have seen his majesty and you have felt his touch. Maybe you are, uh, are thinking of the opportunity that you may have had to, to go hike in the mountains, maybe on the Appalachian Trail, and, and while you were out in nature, you see the trees and the rivers and the animals, and you felt as if you were standing in the presence of God. Or maybe you've had the opportunity uh, to camp at one of the amazing campgrounds in our area, and as you lay there looking up at the stars, you see each and every single one of them suspended in the sky. Or maybe you're picturing walking along the Susquehanna River and it's getting close to sunset and, and you look up and you see this beautiful canvas that God has just painted across the sky. And you can open your eyes now and, and hopefully no one fell asleep on me. But whenever, uh, when, whenever we think of God's creation, we don't have to go far in a place like central Pennsylvania to see his beauty and his majesty within creation. You know, we see that the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies, the, the skies display his handiwork. But do you know what God's most beautiful creation is? If I were to ask that question, what would you say? Would you say that it's the mountains in the fall whenever the, the leaves are changing colors and we see this beautiful picture uh, that God has created on the mountainside? Or would you, would you, would you think that it's... Uh, the, that Susquehanna River, the, the raging waters that are down there. And, and Would you picture that? 
What is God's masterpiece? Well, I would encourage you to take a look around you because it's you, it's me, it's your neighbor, it's the person sitting behind you and in front of you. We are God's masterpiece. We, without question, we are God's greatest creation. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship. God made us according to, to his plan and his purpose. And let me give you some examples of how amazing God is when he, when he started putting us together. You know, when we, look at, when we look at science, our nose can detect about one trillion different smells. Some of them good, some of them probably not so good. We also have 10,000 taste buds, each that, that get replaced every two weeks about. That's amazing. And if we just look at one human being, and, and we look at the amount of blood vessels that are in our body, and we were to lay them out, it could circle the world twice. And that's inside of us. God is so amazing. that He knit us together in such a way, in such an extraordinary way, that we're able to function, we're able to live. We can go out and enjoy God's creation by hearing, seeing, smelling, touching, doing whatever, whatever it is. We are truly wonderfully complex. It's amazing. But for those of us who have faith in Jesus, we know that that's not the end of the story. When we go out and live our lives by going to work, going, exploring creation, watching TV, reading a book, uh, we, we can do all those things and we can see God in all of that. But as for Christians, we know that that's not the end. We understand that each of us was made for purpose, on purpose for a purpose. And we learned from Pastor Mike last week in Romans 12, 1 through 2, that, that as Paul is summarizing this, the, the gospel in, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, we see that we should be honoring God at all times through a transformed life that is keeping the will of God in all things. Pastor Mike said that it was God's desire, it is God's desire, I should say, for each of us to have our minds so aligned with his holy word that we can almost instinctively know how we can please God in any situation. We go out into this world, and when we are truly following after God, devoting ourselves to his word, we are transformed and we can change the world for him. And as we begin to look at this next section of Romans, we begin to see Paul's understanding for how this can happen. We can see it first with us and then how we do it within the church. We need to focus on and, and, and making this a reality for us in every day of our lives. And so in order to do this, I want to ask our, our, like us three questions here today that will help us lay the framework. So instead of points, I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to keep you engaged so you don't fall asleep on me. Here are these three questions. First, how should we view ourselves? Second, how should we view others, specifically Christians? And third, how should we, review, how should we view our responsibility? And I'll get to what that responsibility is here in a bit. But let's go to our first question. How should we view ourselves? Well, let's take a look at Romans 12, verse 3. Paul says that, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When we, we, when we begin to look into this passage, we, know, we notice a, the first couple phrases that, that Paul says, and, and he starts off by uh, indicating that hey, I, I have this authority as an apostle of Christ, and, and I want everybody, Jew and Gentile, to listen closely to what I am about to say. And this is what he begins with. And then he continues in verse 3 with the not to think highly, and not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with this sober judgment, each according to this measure of faith that God has assigned. And it's an interesting section because at faith, face value, we see that we should not think of ourselves and put ourselves up on a pedestal. But there's more to this section that sometimes we might miss, uh, especially uh, when Paul here, we, we see that he is addressing one error in our thinking, but there's really two that he is addressing here. And the first error in our thinking is that we put ourselves up on that pedestal. We think of ourselves too highly. And of the two errors that we will discuss, this one tends to be the most dangerous due to the fact that pride seems to almost come naturally to us. You know, the world tells us to show our best selves uh, because we deserve that recognition we get from getting that major promotion over our peers or 
uh, or, or having the nice house, nicest house on the block with a the, with the nice, beautiful back porch. The world even tells us to have pride in all of our children because, hey, my children does four sports, three activities after school, and has a part-time job. Definitely better than yours. You know, that's what the world tells us, right? We should take pride in all of those things. We feel like there is value in finding the reasons for why we are better than the person sitting next to us. And as Christians, we think we would recognize this and be different. But I think that that's not always the case. There are some of us that that will take pride in how much I give to the church. I give so much to the church, I'm the best. Or some of us even take pride in our education and and we we say, oh, hey, because you don't know that theological terminology, I'm better than that person. So when Paul is explaining that we should not think more highly than we ought to, he's talking about this pride that is so prevalent within our lives. And something that we miss in this section sometimes is that Paul is still addressing this issue between Jews and Gentiles you know, Jews think that they're, they're, they're better in terms of faith. Gentiles, especially in Rome, think of themselves as the most civilized society and the superior being. And so when Paul is writing this section, he's wanting these believers in Rome to understand that the Jews aren't better than the Gentiles, the Gentiles aren't better than the Jews, but rather we are all dependent on God's mercy for salvation, which means that there's no room for any pride. And any such pride would destabilize the unity of the church. And so when Paul is writing this letter to the Roman believers, both Jews and Gentiles, he's sitting in Corinth, a place that is filled with pride, worldly desires, ambitions, all of this stuff. And listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When Paul writes this to the Corinthian believers, he's reminding them of the beginning of their Christian journey. He's encouraging them to not think of themselves more highly than he ought to think, And that's the same thing that he's telling the Roman believers in our passage today. So that's great, but what does that mean for us? Well, when we're we're to understand that when our Christian walk begins, we're to follow in humility and and look to follow in the footprints of Jesus Christ. You know, he's the one who took the form of the servant. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And, And pride has no place in our hearts when we are following in the path of the one who died for our sins. And what about the second error that we make in our thinking? One that we might miss in this passage is is that sometimes we think of ourselves too low. We undervalue who we are in Christ. And as Christians, we need to recognize that we have been made by God and that however inefficient we might feel, we are important to God who has made us. Like we said, Ephesians 2.10 says that, that he made us. We are his workmanship. We're made to do good works. When we evaluate ourselves based on the worldly standards of success and achievement, we, 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 look, at, we look at ourselves in the eye, through the eyes of others, and we forget to look at ourselves through the lens of God. We miss that point. And that's why Paul tells us to think with sober judgment. When we evaluate ourselves, we are to judge ourselves according to God's standard, not our own. But how do we go about evaluating ourselves? How do we do it? Well, Paul lays this out at the end of, or end of verse 3, and he says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When it comes to evaluating ourselves according to God's standards, there is more than just recognizing that we're made in the image of God, that you have the Holy Spirit, or even the, over, the overall plan of God. Those things are important, don't get me wrong. That, that's what makes us a Christian. But as Christians, when we begin this process of evaluating ourselves based on God's standards, we have to recognize three things. First, we recognize that God made us each unique and different. We recognize that our giftings are different from the person sitting next to us. And we recognize that because our giftings are different, we should not be judging our worth based off of who is the better teacher, who is the better worker, who is the better student, etc., so on. We understand that, 
that the church contains many members, and each of these members have been given gifts, and they will exercise those gifts. We don't all have the same giftings, and, and we shouldn't evaluate ourselves uh, based on the contributions that the other person has. We need to look to ourselves. And so to answer this question of how we view ourselves, how do we do that? Well, as Christians, we need to recognize that we are living sacrifices, being transformed daily by the renewing of our minds, and we, that we should, not view ourselves, or we should view ourselves as being uniquely gifted by God not judging our worth based on the world's standards, but the standard of the God who made us and according to the gifts that he has given us. And that brings us to our second question of the day of how do I view other Christians then? We go from looking inwardly now to looking more outwardly at, at the body of Christ. So how are we to do this? How do we look at others, specifically other Christians? Well, let's read uh, the next couple verses, Romans 12, 4 through 5. It says, for as in one body we have many members, and members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Paul goes back uh, in this section to using one of his, uh, his favorite uh, metaphors and illustrations of how he describes uh, Christians and how other Christians should look at other Christians. And listen to how theologian Dr. Moo describes this. He says, as in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul uses the body metaphor to, among other things, rebuke the arrogance of some members of the body who prided themselves on possessing more important gifts. So here in Romans 12, Paul uses this metaphor to back up his exhortation that all believers are not to think more highly of themselves than they should. And as believers, we are members of one body in Christ. And we, we need to recognize that that not every part of the body can hear, not every part of the body can see, not every part of the body can walk. Instead, each, of the par each part of the body has a specific function, and all of these functions must work together if the body is going to move correctly, act correctly, talk correctly. For that reason, we, we need to acknowledge that we need each other as Christians. We need each other. But this is completely out of the ordinary in today's world. You know, Pastor Mike kind of talked about it last week when he said that, the, the, that conforming to the world is an easy thing to do. It takes absolutely no effort at all to do so. And we hear phrases today like, live your own truth and follow after your heart. You know, my heart is such a messed up thing. If I followed the desires of my heart, I, I would be in a lot of trouble. I have to kill those desires daily. I have to follow after God. We hear phrases like, you do you. You know, don't worry about Sally over here. Her opinion doesn't matter. Uh, you just go do whatever is best for you. And if there's a Sally in the room, I'm sorry. Uh, that, that was just the first name that came to my mind. And finally, like, we hear phrases, and this one just really gets me because I've seen it in, on a commercial every day for like the past couple weeks whenever I'm watching TV. And it's about this company. I'm not going to name the company, but it's, it's talking about how we look the best, how we make ourselves look the best that we can possibly look. And their catchphrase is, worship yourself, the world will follow. Sounds like solid advice, right? No, that's ridiculous. These phrases that we hear constantly, they're the opposite of the gospel. We are to live out the truth of the gospel, follow after Jesus. We do what God has directed us to do, and we worship God in all things. It's so countercultural to follow after the things of God. And in church, every single one of us know this, and, I, and I, think we, I think we get it, but we still choose to run after the world like a cheetah chasing its next meal. We choose the world over God. We fall into this trap of individualism that is so prevalent in our culture today. And look what uh, New York, the New York Times described as the wave of individualism. Listen to what it, they, they wrote. In the future, it seems, there will only be one ism, individualism, and its rule will never end. As for religion, it shall decline. As for marriage, it shall be postponed. As for ideologies, they shall be rejected. As for patriotism, it shall be abandoned. As for strangers, they shall be distrusted. Only pot, selfies, and Facebook will abide, and the greatest of these will probably be Facebook. That article was written in 2014, and I think it's more true today than it was back then. 
Does it, in order to actually be the church, brothers and sisters, we, we can't go around creating our private little a la carte religions and, and doing whatever we do because we don't like the person sitting in the room across from us. We need each other in all of our messiness. We need each other. We're a broken church filled with broken people, all in need of God's grace. And I love what Paul says in these verses, in verses 4 and 5. He, he begins talking about how the body corresponds with the human body, and, and, and we see that it's marked by diversity, but we notice that it's only in function. When we get into verse 5, you know, this, this diversity, we see it's, it's, it's prevalent, but Paul references the unity in the diversity rather than the diversity itself. We are all very different indeed, but when we are unified, we recognize that we are incorporated into Christ. That's why the Ephesians 4 passage describes Christ as the head of the body. Listen to what it says. Rather, than, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from who the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body, the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It is when we are in Christ, we can be unified. We can recognize that every single person in this room has different gifts and different talents. But ultimately, we need to understand that there is a role for everybody. There's a role for everybody in this church, and it's our responsibility to fulfill that role. And when that leads us to our third question of, how should I view this responsibility? Let's read verses 6 through 8 in Romans 12. Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And there, as we begin this section, I want to note something right off the bat. We see this word gifts up here, and that word is translated as charisma in the Greek. And the reason why that's significant is because the root of that word, charis, means grace. And so what Paul is really saying here is that because of these gifts of grace that have been given to us, let's go out and use these gifts of grace for the body of Christ. They have been given to us by grace, our salvation. And listen to how theologian Dr. Boyce explains this. He says that since grace is God's unmerited favor, the word indicates that the spiritual gifts are dispensed by God according to his pleasure and that the gifts will differ. Every Christian has at least one gift, and since these gifts are given by God, they are to be used for his glory and according to his plans, rather than to enhance our own glory or further our plans. And so believers in this room, I, I, I just want you to know that we are responsible for discovering our gifts and what these particular gifts are and to use them within the body of the church to, to edify the body. And, and can I tell you, we have a false humility if we say to ourselves or we say to others, oh, well, I, I don't have a gift, God can't use me, I'm not good to anyone. That's a false humility. It's our responsibility to discover the gifts that God has given you and use them to build up the church because he has given you a gift. And if you're sitting here today and you say, okay, well, how do I discover what my gifts are? I have no idea. It's a great question. First, we need to look over the scriptures, and there's several passages uh, throughout the Bible that talk about these spiritual gifts. But let's read, from our, let's read about the gifts from our passage again. I'm just going to specifically read the gifts here. Paul says, If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In our passage today, we see seven of these gifts that Paul is laying out for us. Now, I want you to buckle up because we're going to go through all seven of them. Um, I'm only going to keep you for four hours, so it's okay. Uh, but the first of these gifts is that of prophecy. And, I, and if I were to ask you in the room, what is the main function of a prophet? I would probably hear 
uh, from some of you, well, a prophet is someone who tells the future. And that might be true, yes. That's not always the case. When we look at the prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we, we see that a prophet is someone who speaks the words of God. The Greek word for prophet can be literally translated as the one who stood or stands in front of another person and spoke for him. An example of this is found in Exodus 4. You know, we see this discourse between Moses and God. Moses is like, God, I don't want to do this. I can't talk well. God's like, you're going to do this. Moses is like, please, God, don't make me do this. God's like, you're going to do it anyways. And they go back and forth a few times. But ultimately what happens is God says, well, okay, Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you your brother Aaron, who's going to speak the words that I speak to you. And so Aaron became this, uh, this prophet of God because he spoke the words of Moses that were ultimately spoken from God. And so how do we look at this gift of prophecy today? Well, Paul gives a clarifying remark here that you can see up on the screens. He says that if prophecy in proportion to our faith... When it comes to prophecy, we must, as the church, judge and weigh whether or not these words are actually from God that are being spoken. Paul gives us a warning in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 33, when he says this. He says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged." And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Paul's clarifying remark here, in proportion to our faith, is to show believers in Rome that they are to hold this gift to the standard of their faith. Basically, if it is not of God, then those words are not your friend. We have to understand that, that, that prophets might be tempted to, to prophesy beyond uh, the, the faith given by God, maybe to impress others with wise words and lofty speech. But Paul makes it clear that that is not the case. And brothers and sisters, if this gift of prophecy is, is something that you possess, I want to encourage you, as Paul did with the Roman believers, to, to use this gift in accordance with faith. If you speak contrary to the words that are in this book, you're going to be held accountable to the God of the universe. He's ultimately the one who judges what happens here. It's an amazing gift, but use it wisely, if that is you. And that leads us to the second gift that Paul lists, which is service. And this is an interesting one, because, because Paul says, if you're called to service, then serve. It's this just-do-it mentality. Uh, you know, Paul is saying, um, just do service. But what does he mean by service? When we look at service here, the word is used several times to reference how believers are to model the example of Christ, but it also can be taken as like the, the roles and responsibilities of a deacon, which is like ministering practically in the church or providing where there is a need in the church. But when it comes to this gift of service as believers, all of us are called in some way or another to service. We are called to be like Christ, who was the ultimate servant for us. We are to, to, to follow after his lead. So whatever ministry gift that you have, wherever the Spirit might lead you to be, do that. Serve to the fullest that the Spirit is leading to you. Serve to the glory of God. And this reminds me of uh, one of the ladies that comes in every week to give me a hand. Um, one of my responsibilities here at the church is making sure that all of the worship folders are printed and folded and ready to go for the weekends. And when you get like two to 300 worship folders, it takes a long time to fold all those. And so I, ha I have uh, a lady that comes in. Her name is Deb Donato. And, and she is so faithfully, uh, so faithful because she comes in and she just, folds worship folders for me every week. And I'm so thankful for that. And when I thank her, she, she tells me each week that, you know, hey, I'm happy to do it because where I might not be able to uh, serve in another capacity due to, uh, like, physical stuff, like I can't do any more physical roles, I can sit here and I can fold worship folders. And I think that's a beautiful gift that she uses because she is able to do something to benefit the body of Christ and I'm so thankful for her. And if you see her, uh, tell her thank you as well. I am blessed by her. 
But I think that's a great example of using this gift of service to benefit the body. It, it might be a small thing, it might look small, but it's ultimately benefiting the body of Christ. And that leads us to the third gift that Paul is, is speaking of here, which is teaching. You know, teaching is an amazing gift. It's extremely important to the church body. After all, if no one is teaching, how do we learn? Especially the children downstairs. How, how do they learn about Christ? How do they learn about God? And we do have to clarify a, a difference here. A lot of people tend to put prophecy and teaching in the same category because they sound the same. They're all talking about the words of Christ. But there is a difference. The prophet is one who speaks the word that God puts in his mouth. On the other hand, teaching involves the passing on of the truths of the gospel that have already been preserved in the church. Basically, it's teaching what has already been, been taught, what has already been made known. And Paul uses his just-do-it mentality here again, and he says, if you teach, use your teaching. And if you say, well, hey, I've never taught anything, uh, I, I, I might not be good about that, I've only done it once or twice, and I'm just not good at it, how do, we, how do we get better at it? And can I tell you, we have some amazing people here at Living Water that would love to partner with you and help you understand how to teach the body of Christ how to teach the kids downstairs. Our family ministry staff is so wonderful. They would love to spend some time with you and equip you to, to talk with the kids downstairs and to talk about Jesus, and, and we would love that. We need some teachers downstairs, especially for this summer. And if we, if we think about it, right, if we're, if we're not teaching downstairs, who is teaching our children in today's world? They're, be, they're being taught all of these terrible things in, in culture and stuff. So, so we need you, we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of them and to, to teach. And if you, if you feel like you're, you don't have the experience for it, I promise, we'll get you trained. Don't let that inexperience be a hindrance to use this amazing gift. And the fourth gift that Paul is, is speaking of here is exhortation. Um, that can be translated as encouragement. I know exhortation, we don't hear that word that often, but encouragement. And when we think of the word encouragement, I think we tend to think of just somebody coming up, patting you on the back and saying, hey, good job, uh, you did a great job today, we'll see you later. But that's not what it means. If we think of this, the, that, if we think that that's all it means, that's a pretty weak definition of what encouragement actually is and what exhortation is and what we're looking at here today. When we look at this word in the Greek, the Bible says that we encourage or when we exhort someone, it's using this powerful language like beseech or comfort or desire or pray or entreat or console. We miss what Paul is saying if we just think, oh, he said encouragement, he's just tapping him on the back and saying, good job, buddy. That's what we miss that. And take Barnabas, for example. Barnabas's real name was Joseph. But he was so gifted with encouragement that they changed his name to Barnabas, which, which literally means son of encouragement. He did a really good job at it. Remember when Paul got in this argument with John Mark? Paul and, Paul and Barnabas then kind of split up because, because Paul didn't want really anything to do with John Mark at that point. He went off on another journey. But Barnabas stayed. He mentored John Mark. He loved on him. He encouraged him. And then a few years later, we see in 2 Timothy that Paul even requests for John Mark to rejoin the ministry that Paul is doing. Barnabas was an amazing example of an encouragement. And so when we encourage people, it's not just about words of affirmation, but it's about doing life with others. It's about, it's about building them up. It's about loving them. And if that's you, do it, but, but do it right. Encourage people, do life with them. The next gift that we have is giving, or as the ESV translates it, the one who contributes. And like serving, we are called to give in some way. Everybody, all Christians are called to give in some way. And whether that's financially speaking or merely giving our time, the idea of giving is throughout Scripture. Uh, and, and so when we look at this giving, I want, I want to focus on what Paul says uh, as the uh, qualifying statement, which is in generosity. When we see this phrase in generosity, we, we see it, it can be translated as giving without any ulterior motives or personal motives. Malachi uh, 1, 13 through 14 warns us to not give with ulterior motives. 
And we see the consequences of giving with ulterior motives with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. We are to not do that. True givers are ones who, who give wholeheartedly all while, all while remembering that they received the ultimate gift from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us. And like I said, we're all called to give in some way, whether that's just giving, the, giving a gift of money or giving our time. We are, we, we're called to do it in some way, and I would just encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do it without any ulterior motive, but to do it to glorify God in everything that you do. The next gift that we see is leadership. And there are a few ways to take this meaning. Uh, many scholars will agree that Paul is speaking about uh, leading in the sense of church leadership, as well as uh, Christians leading other Christians. Some scholars will also say that Paul is talking about leading in the family unit. Um, however, when we look at this passage, I think Paul's ultimately speaking exclusively of church leadership and leading other Christians in this verse. You know, we see uh, in other passages that, that Scripture does speak of leading in the family unit, and that's actually a directive. We are to do that in a family unit. Um, so right here in this verse, Paul is really speaking about how we lead ultimately with other Christians within the body of Christ. He said leaders are to lead with zeal. Basically, Paul is saying that leadership comes from this eagerness to govern diligently. Leadership demands willingness to hard work and to give our best effort for those that we are leading. And if you have this gift and you're leading others, I, I would encourage you to make sure that your position does not become a hindrance to the gospel. Because I think a lot of times in our culture today, it's, I'm going I'm to make my workers carry me on their backs as we go forward. But true leadership, what Paul is saying, is the servant leadership that walks alongside of those people that you're leading, that you walk alongside of them in the path and the journey that they're going on in life. And so don't let that be a hindrance to the gospel. And then the last gift that, that Paul lists here, I told you we weren't going to spend too long on all of them, but we made it. Uh, Paul lists the one, who, the one who does acts of mercy and to do it with cheerfulness. And this gift specifically is dealing with the individuals that are going through difficult circumstances. You know, this could be economic circumstances, this could be illness, old age, depression, any other misfortune. This gift allows individuals to go into these difficult situations and do life with these individuals in these situations. And notice what Paul says to do. He says to do it with cheerfulness. Have you ever been around someone that has terrible bedside manner? Uh, I, I, I know I have, um, and I'm guilty of it because I am really terrible at knowing what to say to people. Uh, and the, it, it can be difficult because we just don't know what to say and we don't know what to do. And, and, I, and I, I realize that that's not my gift. But for people with these gifts, with people with this gift of, uh, of mercy, these acts of mercy, they go into each of these situations and they become a light for the individuals that they're with. They're able to show the kinds of mercy that honor God and show love to the recipient, knowing that this is a greater blessing than, than anything that they could give. They just show this love to them. You know, back in November, uh, I, Pastor Mike called me into his office, and, uh, you know, it always feels like being called into the principal's office. Um, but as I'm going back in there, uh, we sit down and we start talking, and, and he, he's talking to me about, hey, I want you to have this opportunity. We're changing some positions around. I want you to be a part of our compassion ministry here at the church. And, and when it comes to compassion ministry, that, that ministry is all about meeting people in their difficult situations. And like I said, this isn't necessarily my gift, but God is placing this at my feet because I, I know he wants me to grow in this area. And where it not, might not necessarily be my gift, I'm able to understand how to love people better now. I am able to, to, to go in and comfort and, and, and try to help people. And I'm so thankful for that opportunity. And, and it's just an amazing way that, that we have here at Living Water to support our community, to support our brothers and sisters that, that need some help. And, I, and I'm blessed that, that I'm able to be a part of that. Now we get to the end of these gifts, and, and I want you to understand that these, this list right here, it's not an exhaustive list. Um, the other area, like the other parts of scripture that talk about gifts, 
Those aren't exhaustive either. There's an indefinite number of other giftings that are not listed. But when we begin to look over these lists and ask God for guidance, we might be able to understand that we have a, uh, an inclination for service or of teaching or of exhortation or of prophecy, whatever that might be. And if you read through these lists of spiritual gifts and you still, you're like, oh, these are great, but I still don't know what my gifting might actually be. Well, we have a spiritual gifts test here at Living Water. I have some in the back of the room for you guys. Um, if you want to discover what these gifts might be in, in your life. And it takes uh, all, of the, all of the gifts throughout Scripture and, and lists those on there. And if you're interested, just go ahead and take that. That might show you where you're at. It might show you how, to, uh, how you are to serve and maybe might, what might be your best position in that. And the last thing I would suggest for you is after you kind of have an understanding of what your gifts might be, or even if you're still figuring it out, go out and do your gifts. Well, what does that mean? How do you know if you're a good teacher if you've never taught anyone? How do you know if you're a good leader if you've never had the opportunity to lead? How do you know if you, 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 you're a good encouragement to others if you've never encouraged anyone? If we don't actually get out of our seats and do our giftings, we might never know what we are gifted at. And here at Living Water, we have so many different ways for you to serve in your giftings. Do you like working with your hands? Try our vehicle repair ministry. And if you say, well, I don't know how to work on a car. I've never done that. Let me tell you, that's okay. The guys down there, they will teach you. They will, they will help you understand. They've taught me a few things. And it's amazing. Do you like teaching or leading a discussion? Like we said earlier, try our children's ministry or student ministry. We're about to kick, we're kicking off summer serve right now. We need teachers in, in our children's ministry, student ministry, and like I said, they'll provide you with all of the training that is needed. This world is teaching our kids so many terrible things, and we need men and women to step up and be a light in the darkness of this fallen world. Could that be you? Do you like encouraging people? Maybe serve in the food pantry. We have people from different cultures and different backgrounds coming through there every week. And sometimes they just needed a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of support in their journey in life. Encourage them. And these are just a few of the many different ways that we, we have service here at Living Water in which you can practice what your gifts are and, and try things that you, just so you can see if this is what an inclination for you is. Here at Living Water, we want to help you Use your gifts to glorify God in all areas of your life. Each of us are responsible for discovering what our particular gifts are and using them to edify the body of Christ. We each have something to offer. And as I was doing some research for this sermon, I, I came across this study that polled churches around the country. So it, it polled uh, se several hundred churches across North America. And this study looked, at, looked to find what percentage of regular attendees were using their gifts in service within that ministry. And of the regular church attendees who are actually serving in the church, the, the nationwide average is 15%. That's a crazy low number. If only 15% of our bodies were working, we would be in the hospital on life support. And we wonder why so many churches in America are dying today. Only 15% is trying to keep it afloat. Now, if you're saying, well, living water is different. Uh, we're better in terms of serving and using our gifts. Well, I did my research. And when I looked at things, I didn't want to use our church database to, to figure this out. I, I thought, well, you know, we track this. It, it might not necessarily be accurate. So what I did was I looked at our church's reveal survey. And, it, you know, I'm sure many of you have taken that survey. It's all from your perspective, and it looks at how the health of our church is doing, like how, how healthy we are as a church body. And so I wanted to look at this from your perspective in terms of serving and in terms of using gifts in, in, in the church. And when I looked at this, I found some interesting results. Uh, and, and so this is what, we, what I found. For those of us that are serving at least once, once a month to every single week, 
the total of that was 47%. For those who serve a few times a year, that is 9%, so that equals total serving is 56% of our people. Those who used to serve but now currently aren't are 32%, and those who have never served are 12%, so that totals at 44 And after looking at these results, we see that we are higher than the nation average, which is great. That is a great thing. But guys, if we are only at 47% or or 56% on a good week, if we're only 56% of our bodies are working, we're still in a lot of trouble, right? We're still on life support in the hospital. And I know what some of you might be thinking, well, I, I use my gifts, but I don't necessarily use them in the church. I use them throughout the week. That's great. But can I ask you the question, how do you do that? You know, you might be going and, and you might be a CEO at some company, you're leading all these other people, you, you, you love on your direct reports well, but you're ultimately there for a paycheck. You say that, uh, oh, hey, I love working with kids, but ultimately you won't babysit unless you're actually getting paid for it. Will you encourage others if the only reason you're encouraging them is to get praise from all the other people that hear that you're a great encouragement? How do we use our gifts to benefit the body of Christ that Paul's talking about here? You know, brothers and sisters, as believers, each of us have a gift from God, and we are instructed to use our gifts to benefit the church body, and we are to use these gifts for no other motive than to bring glory to God in all the things that we do in life. And as we close here today, I want to thank all of you who are part of that 47% who work every week to, 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 to build us up and, and to encourage the believers here in your acts of service through using your gifts. Thank you so much. We love you. We love you so much. And if you find yourself in the other 53% who is not serving or only serving a few times a year, I would encourage you to get involved. We need you. We love you. We want to, to help you come alongside, uh, to come alongside us and use your gifts, not to only to benefit the body of Christ, but to, to fulfill our responsibility in building up those gifts in and of ourselves. We want to make sure that we, we, we have living water reflecting Jesus in every single area of ministry that we have here. So can I give you a few practical steps as we leave here? I think, I think in church today, sometimes we hear things and then we go and then we leave and we forget everything that we learned. So can I give you a few practical steps of what we can do this week to make this a reality in our lives? Well, first, go pick up one of the spiritual gift tests back there. I think uh, Mike Bongo and Grace and I think Harry is going to be back there. Go see one of those guys. Pick up, a, pick up a spiritual gifts test. Figure out where your gifting is. The second thing I would say is, is, is look at the communication card, which we're going to collect here in just a moment. After you fill out all the information, and Miss Eleanor wanted me to say, check the little box that has the service on there. It helps the ladies in the office. But after you do that, flip it over. Look at the back. There's so many different areas of service. If you're not serving or you want to try something that, that you haven't done before, Check that on the box. And the last thing that I want to encourage you, there's a little insert in your worship folder this week for Summer Serve. If you don't know what Summer Serve is, uh, Summer Serve is the time of the year where children's ministry and student ministry give their regular volunteers a little bit of a break to spend some time with family when kids are off, uh, to go on vacations, all of that. And for that reason, we need our church family to come and support our children's ministry and student ministry. And if you're interested in teaching, this is an amazing opportunity to exercise that gift. It's also an amazing opportunity to encourage those kids, be a light in those kids' lives. And you can use the website or the QR code to get signed up for that. And and can I just talk to the live stream for a moment? If you're at home, I know it can be so easy at times to just sit and just say, hey, I'm, I'm really tired, I'm gonna sleep in, get up in my PJs, drink a cup of coffee and watch church online. And where that's okay every now and then, if that's all we're doing, if that's all you're doing and you do it week after week, I would encourage you guys, we need you. We would love for you to join us. We want to use your gifts. We want you to be able to build up the body of Christ because no man is an island. If our arm is detached, it's not doing anything for the body, nor is the body doing anything for it. 
So I would encourage you to join us back in service. These are just a few practical ways that, that we as Christians can begin to, to live out our responsibility as Christians. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you today is that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would continue to develop your giftings to build up the body of Christ. That we, you would use your giftings to, to, to glorify God through everything you say and do. Let's actually do what Mike Bongo says every week at the end of his sermons. Let's go into this world, give them a glimpse of heaven, give them a glimpse of the King, Jesus Christ, through our words and our actions. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I just want to thank you, first of all, for all of the blessings that you have given us. Thank you specifically for the, the gifts of grace that you have given to each of us as believers in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we use them with a renewed sense of purpose, seeking to glorify you in our thoughts, words, and actions. We want to bring glory to you, God. And may we continue to fulfill our responsibility of developing these gifts in order that you would be glorified through the church. Jesus, I pray that you will continue to walk with us each day. I pray that you are able to be, that we are able to be your bride, the church, Lord. And that even though we may have diversity in our functions, I pray that we will ultimately be unified in you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will, you will allow us to decrease so that you may increase, God. I pray that we are able to surrender our pride, our desires, and lay them down at the foot of the cross. Holy Spirit, change us. Renew our minds and our hearts each day so that we continue to strive after you. And Father, I also lift up this offering that we are about to take. May we give not with the expectation of anything in return, but for no other motive than to glorify you and build your church. It is in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, the King of everything that we pray.